Well, I hope you're glad to be here today. I hope it isn't a, well, I, I guess I'll go to church. I hope it's, wow, I get to go to church. Uh, I know it's the highlight of my week as I get to worship with God's people. I, it's wonderful to be able to sing that song that we just sang about the sovereign hand of God. I always think about the sovereignty and of God in our life and, and think about it, particularly on a, on a Lord's Day, because God's sovereign hand has made it such and orchestrated all the contingencies and all the little details of life throughout the week. I mean, think about the, the gazillions of, of uh, possibilities and combinations of all things that happen in all of our different lives throughout the week, whereby God has orchestrated them through His sovereignty and through His hand so that you would be right here, right here this day in order to hear exactly what He wants you to hear from His Word so that you would be exactly what He wants you to be. Amen. Think about that. I mean, you could be by His sovereign hand somewhere else. You could be sick today. You could be anything, any thousands of things could, could have happened and Yet God has chosen such that you would be here with the people around you worshiping God so that you would hear exactly what God would have for you this day. I hope you, I hope you see the Lord's Day like that. I hope you see every day like that, but particularly the Lord's Day. Because this is exactly how God would... I mean, we can't plan it this way. I mean, we... You know, I just preach through the book. That's, that's all I do. I just go to the next text. I was telling somebody this week, I don't know what I would do if I had to be clever, because I'm not clever. I, I just, I, I don't have to be. It's very freeing to me. I don't have to be clever. I just open the Bible and, and God says, here's what you're going to say this week. Here's what you're going to tell them. Here's what you're going to learn about me. And, and I just, that's just a, so refreshing. It's such a deep breath. You God has orchestrated that for us. We're here this morning with our Bibles opened and we are returning to our study of Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, as we continue to hear from our Lord about the character of those who are actual followers of His. And I guess that would that it would be appropriate to begin our time with a question. I often ask us questions because I think this is what happens in my own heart when I read the scriptures. Questions are always coming to my mind about what God is teaching. And, and so I want to begin by this question. What kind of servant of Jesus Christ are you? What kind of servant of Jesus Christ are you? Does your life reflect that which is described as faithful and sensible or one that is unfaithful and foolish. This is what we have before us in our text this morning. And, and we began last Lord's Day looking intently at the reality of the return of Jesus Christ. This is what is undergirding this. This is what is pushing this forward. The driving point was that because Jesus Christ is coming back and because that fact is unknown by way of its time, 
then we ought to be carrying ourselves in such a way that reflects an understanding of that as we are here on this earth. We ought to live our lives in such a way that it is the outworking every moment, every day of the reality that at any time Jesus Christ could come back. So will Jesus Christ find us in that state of readiness? Will he find us ready when he comes back? Will he find us as believers obedient to what he has commanded of us? And will he find us as those who are unbelievers, as those who embrace Jesus Christ by faith? Because if you don't believe in Jesus Christ by faith, you're not ready. You're not ready for his return. And if you're walking disobediently as a pattern of your life, you have to wonder, do you know Jesus Christ because you're continually living in a state of unreadiness? And each and every moment that we disobey God in a willful way, we are working out the reality in some ways saying that, yeah, I have time. I have time. It's an important question. And the answer from the outworking of our lives gives the true answer about us. And the exhortation from Jesus here in Luke chapter 12 and verse 40 was clear to all who were there. You too, or you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Simply stated, be in a state of readiness for the return of the Master. He is the Master of all people, whether they believe upon Him or not. Philippians 2 is clear. All, every knee will bow to Jesus Christ one day. It doesn't matter if they believe in Him. It doesn't matter if they say that God doesn't exist. There will come a big surprise one day when they are bowing before Jesus and proclaiming who He actually is. And the response here to those very words in verse 40 are listed for us here in verses 41 to 48, where we're going to spend our time this morning. Here is what Luke records for us. Peter says, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone as well? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if the slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming, and he begins to beat the slaves, men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will shall receive many lashes But the one who did not know and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. 
From everyone who has been given much shall much be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him they will ask all the more. It's clear in the words of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it ought to be patently obvious to all of us that there are consequences to the state of readiness that we are reflecting in our lives. There are consequences to the state of readiness that we are practicing as we live. The teaching of Jesus certainly had hit the mark in the heart of the disciples. And much like any of the times that the disciples were with Jesus, Peter was the one who would step up as the spokesman. He was, at least as we see in Scripture, had a a curious mind as to what the Lord was saying. He was impetuous. He, He wanted to be first. He wanted to be out there in front. Their minds are thinking about the implications of Jesus' words as a, an entire group. And so Peter asks the question that's on the mind of all of them. I think he asks the question that's on our minds as we're thinking about what Jesus is saying. Are, are these words for me or are they for everybody? We can gain clarity in this question when we read it from other translations. And I think the NIV describes it well in its essence when it says it this way, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Is this simply for us or is this something for everybody? Lord, is this, is this for your closest of disciples or, or does this include everybody because you're talking to a big group here? And I think we can resonate with that. We hear teaching from the Word of God from time to time. And we listen to an exhortation. And oftentimes we'll look around and we'll say, boy, somebody else should really hear that. That's, that's good. I, I know what's going on in their lives. And we, we wonder at times, is this for me or is he just speaking to everybody in general? And I think part of the reason we think those thoughts is because far too often... We have already convinced ourselves that we don't need to be exhorted in whatever area it is that the exhortation's coming. We're doing just fine. In other words, one of our tendencies as Christians, let alone as those who are not Christian at all, they're just unbelievers, is to be self-approving. That that's that's born in our flesh. We We approve of self very easily. We're self-approving when we ought to be self-examining. And I think this is partly what is behind the question of Peter. Lord, is this only for us? Because I think we're doing okay. Or is this for everybody? Jesus' answer tells us that it is actually for both. For them, for them who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, them who are following Jesus Christ, but it's also for all who would follow after Him. 
It's even for, to spread it out even wider, it's even for those who aren't following after Him. It is for the rank unbeliever, Peter and all people. And so Peter and all who follow after Him know this, he says, there are consequences for your state of readiness. And Jesus lays out here for us in verses 42 to 48, a parable. He tells a parable. It's a parable. It's simply a story that drives home the point that is being made. And the point is about stewardship. The point is about responsibilities that God gives us here. How are we handling them? How are we doing them? How are we embracing them? And the first thing that should be on our mind is that the master is returning. That is a universal principle as much as the responsibility is a universal principle to all humanity. Because to the unbeliever, the responsibility that God has given to all of humanity is you must believe upon Jesus Christ. (coughs) How are you handling that? you're with us this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ, some of you younger people who grew up in Christian homes, some of you who may be here and have been here for a long time and yet you have not embraced Jesus Christ, how are you handling that responsibility to believe Christ is coming? He's coming back in the same way that He left. In fact, Acts chapter 1 tells us that the angel said to the men that day, Peter, one of them, standing there. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come, get this, in just the same way as you have watched Him go into heaven. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. He's coming back. It's an imminent return, and it ought to be the driving force in us in serving Him and believing Him. It ought to change how we think. It ought to change how we talk. It ought to change how we live. It ought to change our mindset about the things of this life. It ought to change and have a real editing factor on where we spend our mental time. It ought to be that which edits our life and how much of this world we are absorbing or have absorbed already into the fabric of our lives. The return of Jesus Christ ought to be on our mind every minute of every day because He is coming at a time when we do not expect. Do you want Jesus to find you unready when He comes? So when life isn't proceeding according to our feelings, or when life isn't proceeding according to our desired outcomes, when life isn't going by our perceived health standards or by our expected results in whatever it is we have endeavored to do, watch your life at those moments. Why? Because Jesus Christ is coming back and it may during, be during a moment at which 
We are sinfully expressing an attitude that dishonors Him. Watch your life at that moment when you are expressing a disbelief in the one you have heard about who is the Savior of the world and you have rejected it. We might be sinfully absorbing the world into our way of life and happily so. And it could be at that very moment that Christ is returning. It could be that we are fearfully frightened of rejection when the opportunity comes before us to proclaim Jesus Christ to those around us. And we're fearful of that rejection because an unbeliever is questioning our belief. And they're asking the hard questions and things we don't readily have the answer to at the top of our mind or at the tip of our tongue. And we're fearful to proclaim Jesus Christ because after all, they'll ridicule me. They'll think bad of me. My family won't want to be around me. It'll create some strife in whatever relationship that I desire. And beloved, it's during that moment that we need to think Christ is coming back. Christ is coming back and it could be right now. What's He going to find me doing? What is He going to find me thinking? What is He going to find me saying when He comes? This is what Jesus would have us think about. It is this that we are receiving this morning as His exhortation. And there are consequences that will be meted out by our Lord when He comes. And in this parable that He sets out, He is speaking of two groups. He's speaking to those that are faithful and wise and those that are unfaithful and foolish. And we we need to understand something at the outset. And I've already alluded to it, but I want to just say it clearly. This is not just for believers. In other words, by the term servant here, when Jesus speaks of servants, He doesn't mean only believers. And we know that because the consequence for some will be that they are cast out and assigned to the place of unbelievers in verse 46. Well, we know that no person can lose their salvation. In other words, salvation isn't taken from someone once they're saved. So this parable is not simply for believers. It's for each person. doesn't matter if you reject God. You will stand before God when He comes. And He will indeed mete out judgment for you in light of how you served Him. It's the same principle that the Apostle Paul gives in Romans chapter 13 or Peter in 1 Peter 3 when he talks about obeying the government. For they are placed there by God. They are the hand of God and they will give an account to God for how they govern. Some say, well, they're pagans. How would they know? Well, God has placed it in them to know. They know. They know that God is there. Romans 1 is clear about that. Clear about all humanity. So every person is in this parable somewhere, unbelievers and believers alike. Believers are the faithful 
unbelievers are the unfaithful. And the evidence of where you are shows in how you live in service to the master. Someone might say, well, how can that be? Unbelievers don't know God. Well, that's not what Romans 1 says. It tells us that we all know God. Why? Because God has placed that knowledge within us so that we are all without excuse. Once again, the sovereign hand of God is at work. No one will be given a pass because they say, well, no one told me about God. Why? Because God told them about himself. You say, how? Through what he has made. Isn't it ironic that man in his history of existence on God's created earth has found a way to shine up metal and now in different ways so that we have mirrors. We can even look at ourselves, and we can look at the creation of God when we look in the mirror. Through the creation itself, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen so that man can call out to God. And God, in His grace, brings to them the gospel. Through some means, through some one that God brings about to preach the gospel, through some message, maybe they get a hold of a Bible somewhere, through some means the gospel comes to them, and they are accountable to believe. All people have the knowledge of God built into them. They have the law of God written in their hearts. And if they will follow the general revelatory light of God's creative uh, attributes that are seen clearly, it will lead them to Christ in whom they must believe in order to be saved in order to have their sins forgiven and to be able to stand before God unjudged. If they refuse to embrace Jesus Christ, they will face the consequence of eternal hell. There are some of you here this day in that category. Sitting here listening to these words, you've heard them before in different ways. And you think... In your smug pride, I have time. I have time. I'll go away. I got time. And yet God says you will be without excuse. Every person has a stewardship responsibility before God. So the question is the same. Are you ready for his return? What are the consequences? What are The consequences, the first one we find in verses 42 to 44, and that is the consequence for the faithful, sensible servant. We might even call this servant the reliable, wise servant. The reliable, wise servant. Notice verse 42 to 44, the Lord said, Who then is the faithful, sensible steward? whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time. Blessed is the that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. We can't forget this is a parable. This is a, an illustration, if you will. And that simply means that, that it's illustrating the point that Jesus is making. And that is simply to say that Jesus isn't delineating in it 
any specific duty or any specific responsibility other than the reality of of living in the reality that He is coming at any time. The responsibility or the outworking of that could be in fact anything depending on where you are as a believer or unbeliever. In other words, tasks are different. Tasks vary, but the responsibility is the same. What kind of steward are you? That's the question. Are you faithful and wise? The term faithful is a very important word. It means believing. Believing. So Jesus is saying the believing servant and the phronimos, that's, that's the word that has to do with thinking. Sensible, it's translated here. It's thoughtful, prudent, wise. That's why they use the word sensible. It really carries the idea of someone wise. Wise living is carrying out exactly what you have heard and do it the way you have heard it to be carried out. So Jesus is saying, the servant who is faithful and wise understands the urgency of the reality of Christ's return. They understand that, and the way we know they understand it is because it's reflected in how they carry out their responsibility. They understand and live by what spiritually matters. Jesus says that's the faithful, wise steward. And so when his master comes back, He's going to show the master by how he lives that when he was put in charge of his servants to give them their rations, to give them what was required by way of his duties, that he did it exactly as he was told to do. He was, according to Jesus' illustration, given the responsibility to have some kind of oversight of the people. Some kind of oversight of the people of God. He had to pass out the the food supply, the daily rations, and he had the responsibility to make sure that everybody in the family and everybody in the extended family were all cared for as the master had told him to do. And he is the representative then of every human being. He did it faithfully. No matter the time, no matter the circumstance, no matter the difficulty, he did what he was asked to do. We know that would have been a poke right in the eyeball of the Pharisees who were standing there hearing this because they certainly were not doing that. They were religious by every stretch of the world's terms and yet they were neglecting the responsibility before God. And so they're included as long with everybody else. The point is still true. Believer or unbeliever, it really doesn't matter. We have been given the resources. We have been given the law of God in our heart. We have enough to follow after God. You have been given an understanding mind. Your mind reasons. You, it, it reasons you back to the reality that there is, in fact, God, because God put that reasoning there, and you can see in the creation around you and the work of God around you, you have been given opportunities to hear the gospel, you have been given opportunities to repent of your sin, you have been given talents, capabilities, and gifts, and as an unbeliever, you still go on unbelieving, you will be held accountable for that. 
As a Christian, you have been given spiritual experiences. You have been exposed to the truth. You have been brought into the family of God by receiving and embracing the truth of the gospel concerning Jesus Christ. The question is, what have you done with it? What have you done with it? You see, we all have enough to be accountable and responsible before God. And Jesus says in verse 43, Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Blessed is that slave. Blessings of God be showered upon that slave. To the unbeliever, Blessed are you if you don't squander the spiritual opportunity that God has put before you even right now this very day and you embrace Jesus Christ. Then blessed are you. Blessed are you if you have acknowledged the Creator and turned to His Son so that you might have life in His name. Blessed is that slave whom the Master finds serving Christ when He comes. You see, everybody on this created earth is the slave of God. We may be under another taskmaster by way of our sin, as Ephesians 2 says, but in the ultimate sense, even Satan himself is under the power of God. And one day, him and all of those who have followed after him by way of rejecting Jesus Christ will be cast into the lake of eternal fire, separated from God forever. But blessed are you if you've acknowledged him and turned to Jesus Christ. Blessed is that slave whom the master finds serving Christ when he comes, doing what you have been created and equipped for. In fact, verse 44 says, Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. That is simply to say, to those who are faithful and wise slaves, God gives us the kingdom, just as he has told us back in verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So you don't have to fear the circumstances of life. You don't have to fear any of those realities as if somehow God forgot about us, as if somehow our Heavenly Father doesn't care about us, and He somehow in His sovereign hand has slipped up and didn't make it that way. He says, no, don't be afraid, little flock. Don't fear at all. Why? Because God has gladly chosen to give you His kingdom. Those who have turned to Christ and embraced Him by faith are co-heirs with Christ. All that has been entrusted to Jesus Christ, which is all things, is now ours. And so we desire to live for Christ. We desire that His rule come. And so you are a faithful steward. This is on your heart. This is on your mind. Do you know Christ and are you living for Christ today? That's, the, that's really the question. Because He's coming back and you don't know when. Don't neglect the great opportunity until it's too late. Don't neglect that. 
because verse 45 and 46 tell us the consequence for the unfaithful and the foolish. But if the slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming, he begins to beat the slaves, men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect, and an hour he doesn't know, and they'll cut him to pieces and assign him a place with unbelievers. Rather shocking, Jesus in his illustration is telling us that not all servants are faithful and wise. Many, like all those on the wide road, are faithless and foolish. This is a gross negligence. A gross negligence about that which God has given. The, the grace of God, it is a, it is a gross negligence to, to reject the grace of God, so much so that Jesus doesn't describe the person who is simply lazy. He's not saying that the slave was just lazy. No, he's saying he's one who can only be described as a faithless fool. Only the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Only the fool would turn his back on the loving God who offers him freedom from guilt and freedom from shame in eternal life. Only the fool would turn his back on that. Only the fool would remain in the misery of his sinfulness so that it manifests itself in self-abuse and the abuse of others. Only the fool would say, I want to live my life the way I do. I want to fulfill my desires. I want to live my life by my lusts and by my passions. And I want to, I want to then maybe turn just before God comes. Then I'll get right with God. You're deceived in your thinking if you think that. You're utterly deceived because you know how much time you have. Zero. You think you have time to breathe God's air and you have no time at all because you don't know when Jesus is coming. You're deceived, self-deceived to think that you can remain on some kind of trajectory that you can out-plan and out-maneuver God's sovereign hand not realizing that the farther you go into the darkness of your own heart, the farther you perpetuate yourself down into the darkness of sin, that you won't be able to find any way, and there won't be anything that can turn you. You have to realize right now that the deeper and deeper you go down the rabbit hole into your own sinfulness, the more blind you are to the gospel. In other words, your heart only becomes harder and harder. And there's nothing in you that will turn you to the truth of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's even more frightening than that, really. Because if you've turned fully against the truth and become an apostate, you're unable to even repent, Hebrews 6 says. 
That's the foolish person. Peter knew of this. Peter speaks of it in 2 Peter chapter 3. He knew of this kind of foolishness in the heart. In fact, he warns the people, this is the second letter that I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring you up by sincere mind, by way of reminder. What is Peter reminding the people about continually over and over again in 1 Peter and 2 Peter? The, the reality of salvation and what salvation ought to do in your life and how you are to live if you know Jesus Christ. He said, you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. You ought to remember what the the prophet said. The prophet said, Jesus is coming. The apostle says, Jesus has come. He has risen from the dead. You, You should remember those things. You should have those things on your mind. You should understand the full range of that in your own heart so that you live for Jesus Christ. Peter said, because I know this first of all. In the last days, mockers are going to come with mocking. Following after their own lust. That, that's the essence of their mocking. It's not sense that necessarily they're saying words. Certainly words are part of that. But their mocking is that they're following after their own lust. They're, they're just driven by their own passions, driven by their own desires. That's what they're following after. They've turned their back on the thing that God has shown them in His creation and and right in front of their very eyes and even even the things they've heard from others. They've they've turned their back on that. They think they're okay by themselves. They're following after their own lusts. They're saying even this, where is the promise of His coming? I mean, you talk about the coming of Christ. You talk about the coming of Jesus. You talk about it over and over and over again. Hundreds of years have gone by. Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. They're mocking with those words saying, you're the fool. Peter says, when they, when they maintain this, What is going on in the fool's heart? Well, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. They're they're so lost in their own passions and their own lusts, they they can't even comprehend the reality of how God created everything, that it was out of His sovereign word and that God destroyed it with flood. Man mocks that. Oh, there wasn't a... There wasn't a worldwide flood. You hear that all the time. But notice this, the present heavens and earth by the word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of what? Ungodly men. So don't let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. So in other words, God is outside of time. He doesn't operate according to your timetables. In eternity, time goes like that. There is no time. The Lord isn't slow about His promise, as some count slowness. Why is God even lingering? Because he's patient. Patient toward what? Toward you. Toward you, not wishing that any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Listen, God isn't going to come judge the earth before all those whom he has chosen to save, he saves. But I don't know when that is. You don't know when that is. Christ could come at any moment. 
The fool says, oh, I got time. And in a very real sense, back here in Luke chapter 12, particularly here in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is is just once again pointing his spiritual finger, as I said, in the eyes of the Pharisee. They convinced themselves that they knew God, convinced themselves that they were okay with God, convinced themselves that they were the spiritual leaders of the church, that they were the very ones who, who others should follow, and yet they are the ones who live like fools. They were charged with leading the people in the commands of God, and yet they served themselves. You can read about it even in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 34. Why? Because their hearts were far from God. Not only did they think that Jesus wasn't coming soon, they didn't think Jesus was the Messiah at all. In fact, even many today who are in the Jewish community don't think the Messiah has come yet. They don't believe it at all. There's an external show of religiousness, but no internal renewal of the heart. And so Jesus, while exhorting all of the people in general, this would have been especially indicting to the Pharisees. They would have felt the heat in the most indicting of ways. And in some way, I think that same indictment falls upon all of our hearts, doesn't it? I mean, it's easy for us to, to, to look, read a text like this and think about it and go, yeah, yeah, the Pharisees, but I'm not a Pharisee, I'm not like that. And yet the indictment really is for us. Remember Jesus is writing to Theophilus, his young friend who had learned a lot about Jesus. He wants him to have certainty about the things he learned about Jesus. And one of the things he doesn't want him to be is a Pharisee when it comes to living for Jesus. And so Jesus is saying to us, evaluate how you are serving me. Evaluate how you are serving me. What is it like? Are you like the faithful, wise servant? Or are you like the faithless and foolish servant? Because know this, there will always be just punishment before God. Notice verses 47 through the beginning of 48. And the slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will shall receive many lashes. But the one who did not know and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. Here's the point. Nobody's going to escape. Nobody gets a pass. Nobody's going to escape. No one is going to escape the scrutiny of Jesus Christ. And so the principle is this. God will require an accounting from each one of us as to how we did what He has said. Notice verse 48, the second part of verse 48. From everyone who has been given much shall much be required. 
to whom much has been entrusted of him, they will ask all the more. You see, there's the point. The point is it doesn't matter on what scale you are. It doesn't matter if you are one who willingly, flagrantly is the abusive slave or one who's negligent about what God has said, like the slave in verse 47, or a slave ignorant of the details, it doesn't matter, and accounting is coming for how you serve the Lord of glory. Be the most studious of God's students of His Word and willingly set it aside. God has an answer for that. Paul said in Corinthians, it's wood, hay, and stubble. It'll be burned up, worthless. It doesn't matter if you, if you didn't know what God said and you were doing things that, that were worthy of, of a flogging, the worst kind of flogging, even then there's an accounting, even though God is gracious to you, you receive but a few, it is still an accounting from the Lord of glory. Why? Because to everyone whom much is given, much is required. You say, well, I haven't been given much. How do you know? How do you know? What you've been given is much. It's much. Truth has its consequences. The truth will set you free when you embrace Him and follow Him. But the truth will bring its just punishment if you refuse to follow it. You see, everything will be put right and the truth will be known to all. Talk a lot about justice in our world today, particularly here in the United States of America. We talk about justice, but there is coming a day, beloved, when true justice will reign. It will reign. Peter asks, who's this for? Jesus says, well, well, the faithful servant has nothing to be concerned about. Faithful servant doesn't have to concern himself with it. Why? Because he's doing what the Lord asked. To the faithful servant, Jesus gives his kingdom. But to the unfaithful, punishment. Why? Because to whom much is given, much is required. Simple message, simple story, crushing to the heart. We're thinking about it, it's crushing to the heart. If we're an unbeliever and we're thinking about it, it should cause us to fall on our knees and repent before a holy God and ask Him to forgive us of our sins. If we're a disobedient believer, it ought to cause us to fall on our knees and ask God and thank Him for His forgiveness, asking Him to forgive us and get up and walk in obedience to the Lord. If we're a faithful servant, it shouldn't require us to go, yeah, look at me, I did the right thing, because right then and there we have a prideful heart and we ought to humble ourselves before a holy God who deserves all the praise. Here's the question, beloved, again, are you ready? Are you ready for His coming? What is your life showing about that readiness. 
as I titled our message, What Clothes Are You Dressed In? I trust it's the clothes of readiness. Judgment is on the heart and mind of Jesus Christ, and we know that because verse 49 clearly says that I have come to cast fire upon the earth. But I thought Jesus was love. He is. He is. He is, and his loving justice will meet itself out when he comes. Let's pray together. Father, I trust we've said what you say. That each heart here receives it as a grace, as a grace from you that we ought to hear what you say and evaluate ourselves before you, not before men. It doesn't matter which way we compare ourselves to one another. None of that matters. It's how we honor you and serve you. Not because we earn something through that, but simply because it's a reflection of our love for you. It's easy to say words, Lord, with our mouths, but our heart is the issue. It's with the heart that we confess, the heart that we believe, with the heart that we live it out. Oh, Lord, I know. The gospel is the power of you and the salvation for all who would believe. Lord, we pray for those among us who do not know Jesus Christ. Who have continually been convincing themselves through their foolishness that they have time. They have time. Or those who have been walking in a state of disobedience to you thinking that it's okay. I live under grace. It's certainly true that you are a gracious God. But you will not be mocked. And so I pray that we would evaluate ourselves according to these things and live in such a way whereby our words, our thoughts, our deeds would reflect an honor to you and not what the world says and not how the world thinks and not how the world lives. May we serve you as faithful, wise stewards and not faithless, foolish stewards. Glorify your name through us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.